Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, both things, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true, you know. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring all kinds of cool articles on writing and the writing life, my weekly column twice weekly column that's there also we call it the editor's blog it's a column it's all in there lots of stuff you can read but also my video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres right now my conversation with Kristen Hanna if you've been watching Firefly Lane on Netflix that's her she wrote the book or she wrote I guess she wrote the thing too anyway that's she she wrote that well our conversation great conversation with Kristen you can check that out at authormagazine.org or, yes, you can. And we're funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication. Since 1955, we have embraced the digital world. And, uh, well, we our conference in September, our big one was digital. It went so well. We did a mini one in January. We're going to do another one, another one in uh, June or July, I think. Yeah, just all digital, just focusing on the craft of writing. No pitching. That freaks you out. Don't worry, we'll be no pitching, just writing. I'll probably be teaching something, God knows what, but I will be. Uh, but we also have, I think there's a right couple contests they got going on for published writers, the Nancy Pearl Award, prestigious, and also an unpublished uh, published uh, or a contest for unpublished pieces, one of those two. So uh, if you're interested in any of that, go, go head on over to pnwa.org and learn all about it. Uh, so yeah, so I, hey, I did a, writer, a fearless writing Workshop this past Saturday had folks from, from oh Maine, Hawaii, Florida, Indianapolis, all over the country. That's right. We all gathered together to talk about fearless writing. And uh, but listen, I'm still going to be doing another workshop this Saturday. Fearless marketing. I know some of you hate it. I know. That's why I teach the class. Fearless marketing. Uh, learn to use your your writer's imagination for the marketing aspect. It can be done. You don't have to hate it. You can enjoy it too. If you're interested, not too late, sign up at williamkenauer.com. It's right there on my homepage. You can sign up for it. I'd love to see it. It's all done over Zoom. Check it out. Okay. Oh, we got an interesting one today, people. Tuned into an interesting one. Marsha Butler. She's not just a writer. No, she's not. She's had several creative careers. She was an interior designer, documentary filmmaker, and oboist and of course she's an author also she was a 2015 recipient of a writer in residence through aspen words at the caddo shaw foundation she was also a writing fellow at the virginia center the creative arts in 2018 and 2019 her writing has been published in the washington post literary hub pank magazine psychology today aspen ideas magazine catapult bio stories kenyan review and others uh, her, her memoir, Skin Above My Knee, received rave reviews, as did her first novel, Pickles Progress. Her third book, Oslo, Maine, draws on her indelible memories, performing for many years at a chamber music festival in central Maine. She's here with us now. Marsha, how you doing? I'm great, Bill. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Marsha, that's, oh, man. It's a lot of stuff. Well, I'm What Was that the plan all along? You say, okay, mom, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be an interior designer, and I'm going to make films. I'm going to play the – well, how did all this happen? 
Oh, what was man. the initial plan? I'm so old. <laughs> right. I, I'm so old, I can't, you know, it's hard to summon it all up, but I will do so here for you. Um, I started playing the oboe when I was very young, and yeah. I progressed at it. I went to a music conservatory, and then I had um, about a 28-year career in New York City as a freelance oboist. Wow. And That's know that, cool. Yeah. Well, it was great. I mean, in, in New York, you know, you have the New York Philharmonic and you have the Met right. Orchestra, but there is a very, very robust uh, uh, group of orchestras and sure. a music scene, which does not include those set institutions. So I had a really lovely, lovely career as an well, Aren't there all the um, um, New York? I had a, I, I studied the flute for years, a kind of cousin of the oboe. Uh, in many ways, you had the flute and the oboe are kind of paired up in a lot of ways, aren't they? Uh, in the symphony, well, in, in the orchestra. Well, they're different instruments, of course, and they right. sit next to each other in the orchestra. Yeah. One is made of wood, one is made of metal. Yes. But yes, they're, yeah. they're members of the woodwind family. I always feel like it was a kind of cousin. I always understood the oboe. I, anyway, uh, my my flute teacher here in Seattle um, was sort of the same thing. She would play in a lot of like. When musical when musical theater companies came through, she'd get hired to play the flute in those, and that seemed like part of how she would put her her career together. Did you do some of that? Oh, I did everything. It was patchwork. Um, so I did yeah. orchestra concerts, ballet con- uh, you know ballet right. runs when ba- right. ballet groups would come through. I did play in Broadway shows occasionally. I did a lot of touring all over the yeah. world uh, with orchestras and um, yep. a lot of chamber music. Um, and some solo things too. So it was a, yeah. it was a great career. Yeah. And 28 years. So that's a long time. So really like that was your identity. Like that's what you like. And you really have, I mean, you've got a, that's a, it requires complete commitment, I would think in terms of focus or can you, you yes. get to a certain point where you start coasting a little bit. You never coast when you're a professional no. musician. Yeah. Uh, you have to keep your instrument, you know, you have to keep on top of your instrument constantly and you you're learning new pieces all the time and yeah. you have to be perfect. You know, you have, you're performing. Yeah. So it all has yeah. to be at a very, very high level. So you never yeah. post, never, never, never. It's exhausting. Sounds stressful. Marsha, it sounds stressful. It is. I gotta say. Well, it is, but you know, look what we, look what I did. You know, I got yeah. to play incredible pieces of music by master composers and, yeah. If that isn't uh, an um, an incentive, I don't know what would yeah. be. I mean, you don't go into the, you don't go into that profession really just sort of saying, okay, I'll just get my legs going in here and then I'll just coast to the end of my yeah. career. No. It's really you have to draw. It's driven. It's driven. Yeah, for sure. Well, such is all the creative, really. And you know, I know people may not think of an, a professional oboist as creative, but I assure you, it is. Even if you're not writing the pieces. Um, there is a kind of, I mean, writers, of course, you have a blank page and with the oboist, they have a sheet of music unless you're doing something very, you know, experimental. Um, but it is creative. Yeah. The, even if you're performing and interpreting, it's creative, I think, anyway. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're bringing to life a composer's intent. If it happens yeah. to be a dead composer, you know, say, for instance, Mozart, I mean, it can be right. interpreted a million different ways. And right. your job is to render it in the way that you want to and also what you think the composer intended, whether right. it's in an orchestra and you're just playing a part or a solo piece. Yeah. So there's a lot of responsibility on the performer to um, have the intent of the composer be 
first and foremost, actually. You have to get your ego oh. out of the way to a certain extent. Ah, yeah, but, you know, isn't that true of writing, too? I, I certainly find that, that i got to get the hell out of the way to let, the, let what wants to happen happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You want, you know, obviously everything is uh, sort of filtered through the experience of your mind and your life. But you yep. really want to forget that and put put that sort of on the back burner so that you can allow your imagination to to kind yeah. of drive the bus if you're writing it's fiction. A, I think so. But it's really it's so funny about creativity, Marcia, isn't it? That you know a lot of attention gets put if if you're successful as an artist or if your piece reaches people, you might receive a lot of attention. But I the more I success I have as a writer, the more I understand it can't be about me at all that I just have to, I really have to become transparent in a way for something authentic to come through. And yet then you receive the attention, which was really never about you to begin with, if you were really being honest. I think that's very true. And it's a tricky, uh, it's a tricky road to hoe actually, Um, especially if someone becomes well-known. I'm not particularly well-known at all in the literary world. Um, I published three books, but, not yet, Marsha. <laughs> Give yourself time. But you know, <laughs> I don't have any time left. Anyway, no. oh. Um, oh. but you know, but your point is well taken because um, if you believe in yourself, if you if you believe your own myth too much, you know, yeah. then the thing that you created takes second stage, and in fact. I think all writers are basically brought to their knees every time they stare at the page. You know, it doesn't come easily. It is, it's, it's, inc- it's like digging through a mountain, you know, you're trying yeah. to get to the gold, but my God, you've yeah. got to get a lot of rock out of the way. Yeah. And I think, I think when you understand that and anyone who's written a novel, because it is like climbing Everest, it is one yeah. of the hardest things I've ever done. Yeah. Um, and playing the oboe is damned hard. I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> but writing a, writing a novel is harder, I think, because you are creating it. But yeah. my point is, is that you really have to be humbled every day, that you know nothing, yeah. that, yeah. you know, you're, cre- you're making up the words and you don't know what's going to come next for the most part. And that's, that is very, very humbling. So you really have to put yourself to the back, you know, and, and if you've written one book, it does not mean that you build on that experience and that the no. next book will be twice as easy, go twice as fast. It's like no. the first book was a wolf and the second book's a giraffe and they don't right. have anything to do with each other <laughs> and you have to reinvent it all, all over again. And uh, are you feeling my pain? <laughs> I'm feeling it, baby. Listen, I, I wrote, I've written thousands of essays. And when I first started writing them, I'd never written personal essays. Now it's really what I do. And, but I realized that when I was writing them, I felt like I'd finished one and I'd think to myself, well, I learned how to write that essay. And now, the, and the, but in fact, I was learning about the form in truth, but it never yes. felt that yes. way. It was just, I've learned how to write that one. And now, oh, here we go again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, the nuts and bolts of how to make an arc in an essay that has a beautiful, you know, a wonderful beginning, you know, a, a, a you know, an intense middle and a beautiful yep. end, yep. you know, those are words, you know, yeah. but you have to actually place the words in there and, and fulfill it every single time. It's not easy. It is not easy. Did anyway, you, the yeah. interior design, did it, did, was the order or maybe there was, was it oboist and then interior designer and then documentary filmmaker or were they all overlapping? 
Well, it, the order is oboist, interior designer, author, and documentary filmmaker. I made a documentary film two years ago. Uh, but right. when I was when I was doing all my years as an oboist, um, I guess about mm, eight years before I retired, I retired from the music business in 2008. I uh, became interested in design. I always was. If I had, had if I was younger, I probably would have been an architect. But uh, I did go back to school while I was playing, so I was performing at the same time as I was in school, and I got a BFA wow. in interior design. Then I started my business in 2002 and gradually filtered over. So I, I kind of started refusing the hot seat positions in music um, right. and resi- resigning from positions that I had tenure on. And gradually, 2008, and my business was building, and in 2008, I played my last concert. And then wow. I, and then I continued on only as an interior designer until 2015, when a few years before that I had started writing. So everything was sort of, um, it was overlapping, I would say. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they're all forms of storytelling, right? Yeah, even interior design. And, but they, yes, because you're telling, okay, so you're working for a client, you're right. helping them tell their own story. So yeah. when they walk in the room, the room can support whatever function the room has to, you know, if it's a living room, right. they want to relax or a family room, all that good stuff. So I see all those, the art forms as storytelling, storytelling. of yeah. some kind in the global, yeah. in the global sense. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was, I'm a huge music fan and I remember listening to Beethoven's seventh symphony and I was a young guy. I didn't study music formally in that way, but I remember listening to it and realizing, Oh, he's telling a story. I hear the theme and I hear him. He's finding something different about it each time. And then at the end, he gives you what the story's actually about. It really hit me all at once. I mean, I always kind of knew it. Yeah. I always thought of like pop tunes where there were lyrics as a story, but I really heard that symphony as, or at least the fourth movement, I think of it, that I really heard as a story in a way I hadn't before, that they're taking you on this right. very particular journey and, around and, tension and release. You know, they- Absolutely, the flexing of the uh, flexing yeah. of the muscle, and it's you know, and the tension and release is in writing as well. But it's We're, interesting that you say Beethoven because um, there are so many professional musicians who say that Beethoven really was the composer that had the first, um, as a young person listening to music and being in, exposed to classical music. Yeah. Beethoven is such a phenomenal force. I mean, there is no, you can, you cannot not understand that that is Beethoven when you listen to his music. Yeah, I know. He broke, I know. he broke every single mode. It's true. I mean, yeah. it's it, like, I don't think music would be what it is today if Beethoven, Beethoven had not lived. You know, it's I, really I, an, it's an essential I, thing. He blew me away. I, I remember being 17 and I never heard do you know the second movement of his seventh symphony that the, um, yes. I, forgot, I don't know, I don't yes. know what actually what, what, but it's just this gorgeous, um, they use it in the King's speech, but I'd never heard it. I'd heard the first movement. I really liked it. It had all those flute parts in it, which I liked. And I hadn't heard the second movement. And I thought, well, I got some place to be. And so I was listening to it on a record and the first movement ended and I went to pick up the arm. And I mean, I, I, I know this sounds melodramatic, but I couldn't lift it off. I had not heard when that melody mm-hmm. kicks in after the, the, the basses and the cellos play the, sorry for those of you right, who haven't heard right. this, but it's this fantastic melody. 
And it just, that had never happened to me with music. And I love, music was very important to me as a young man. And that just stopped me cold. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I learned how to write sometimes by listening to people like Beethoven or Beethoven in particular. I feel like he helped me with my writing writing in a way. He's the most novelistic um, of all the authors of all the composers I thought he felt like reading a novel, listening to one of his uh, symphonies in particular. Well, he, um, he, every single symphony, um, there's nine of them. Every single symphony is a progression of the expansion of composition in that time period. Yeah. So if there was no base, you know, there was Mozart and then there was Beethoven and then there was Mendelssohn and then yeah. there was Brahms, and yeah. Beethoven is really a, an incredibly important link in compositional, uh, uh, you know, uh, lineage. I would say. Yeah. And yeah. that's the second movement that you refer to is like no other second movement from you know any time up until that point that he re- that he wrote oh. that second movement. Oh, I didn't know that. It's totally know. unique. Totally yeah. unique. So it's it's not a surprise to me that you were very uh, moved by it. Oh, just knocked me off. Just knocked me off. But mm-hmm. we're not here to talk about Beethoven, although I could, because I do love do <laughs> love I could stuff. too. I could too. Yeah, well, clearly. But um, so the the writer, were you always kind of writing a little bit? I mean, how did that, how, how did writing sneak into all the, you're a busy woman, you're doing all this creative stuff. In other words, you have creative outlets. You're not someone who's sitting home raising two kids and like, I just got to do something. I'm going crazy. You had creative outlets all this time. So why the yeah. writing? Uh, well, you're going to, well, this is strange, but I'd never written anything ever. What? Um, really? I know. Right? Not really, yeah, like for strange. school or whatever. Yes, really. For real. For real. Wow. I, I had never, I, no, no journaling, nothing. Not even you know, journaling. I, oh. No. And so what happened was when I was an interior designer, I started a blog on my interior website. And a lot of it was, you know, sort of, you know, what's the latest lighting trends and where to get a sofa and all this kind of stuff, right? And I started writing blogs on creativity. And uh, right. And so I would, that was really what was interesting to me. And the intersection of creativity among art forms. And so every now and again, I would, throw these little curveballs in there. And yeah. eventually I, I began writing, uh, you know, a small stories of my upbringing having yeah. to do with how I started playing the oboe and the um, unique circumstances in which I grew up. And, yeah. be, and, and it turned into that memoir. God, weirdly. Oh, I, how, how you cool know, is that? How cool is that? You just, it, it, you know, you just let it happen. It sounds like you just well, followed it, your nose. I didn't question the process, right? Yeah. So as soon as I took all the stories away from the interior design blog and said, okay, let me put this in another document and kind of work on this. Uh-huh. I thought I was actually writing a book on creativity. And I right. actually went to a pitch conference and tried to pitch it as such. And yeah. people kept saying to me, the editors and all the people are saying like, yeah, but I don't really get this. Like, I don't get this book. And the last day, oh, this is terrible. The last day of the pitch conference, just before that night, I was going to go in the last day and pitch it to this guy from Random House or something. I was up all night and I realized that what I was actually writing was a memoir. And that was very, uh, that was not a good 
you know, thing. I was kind of like, yeah. say what? And so All I right. went in, and I was going to ditch the last day. I went in, and I pitched it just, just free. Right. I pitched yeah. the book, and he said, when you have it finished, send it to me. Get out. I'm not. No, he didn't buy the book. But, but, <laughs> but, right, what, but. What, it was confirmation that actually wow. I was, in fact, writing a memoir and like Marsha, just wake up and just get on this thing and do wow. this. And I, I just didn't question the process at that point. Wow, because, you know, the memoir, so, that's one of the things I teach is memoir writing. And it's a lot of mm-hmm. holes you can fall into writing a memoir if you've never, uh, if you don't have a, if you don't have a grounding in, in, in narrative writing. Uh, so how well, did that go yeah. for you? Was it, did you, was it, a, was it chaotic and what was that like? It, yeah. Well, I since I'd never written anything before, I was kind of writing by the seat of my past. But I did yeah. early on figure out a format for the book. So uh, the the book is is interspersed. It's it's not exactly one chapter and another chapter, but right. it's a music memoir where uh, I'm telling the trajectory of my story of my life, right? And yeah. interjected are these short, crisp passages of what it is like to be a musician like what does it feel like to play at Carnegie Hall what does it feel like to perform Keith Jarrett's oboe concerto what and record it what does it feel like to um, play in a Broadway show what does it feel like when you're in a concert and the soloist in at Carnegie Hall a violin soloist jumps eight bars in the middle of the performance and the entire orchestra and the entire orchestra jumps to him within two really? seconds. And the they, and the conductor's clueless. What? The entire the orchestra so, jumps. Did you did you jump? Right? Did you know to jump? Of course. Of course everyone knows what's going on in an orchestra. Like we're totally hyper attuned. And that wow. actually happened. Wow. And, and it was not spoken of. You know, we saved that violinist. Wow. You know, everyone, everyone in the orchestra saved his butt. Because that could have sounded like suddenly we're doing experimental music. I thought we were in the 18th century. Nope. (laughs) Right. It it was the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto, and he just jumped eight bars, and the trumpet player came in in one beat. Whoa, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, totally. But, you know, honestly, Bill, these things happen in performance not to that degree, but right. there is a collective unconscious knowing when you're uh, on stage, you're operating on many, many different levels of, of consciousness at the same time. You're hyper attuned yeah. to what you're playing, but yep. you're also on the radar of anything that's going on. And right. in these cases, an orchestra can basically play by itself to a large degree. Right. You know, right. we, we look to the conductor for, interpretation but there's and, and great interpretation of the people once the you get going however yeah but but that doesn't happen very often unfortunately you know oh. in, in the real world and in the in the you know the big time world it doesn't happen that often you right. know so anyway th- those are the types of stories that sprinkle throughout and there's a lot of them um, right. sprinkled that's throughout the, the memoir yeah that's wow. kind of how I worked it out. Well, and so and, and and so Oslo, Maine, which is your most recent, this is based on your experiences at a a chamber music festival up there. And what 
were you going to do another memoir and then it turned into a novel or, uh, no, or was it always going to be a nope. novel? Um, it was always going to be a novel. So after I wrote my memoir, I'm like done with navel, ga- navel gazing. I just like, no, 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 no more. You know? no more. Okay. And I wrote Pickles Progress, but the, the inspiration for Oslo, Maine did come from, I played for many summers. Uh, for one week uh, each summer, I would go up to Central Maine. They had an incredibly beautiful chamber music festival up there. She pulled from, you know, musicians from all over the United States, and we just had, well, anyway, that was where I started hearing stories about moose, and I became obsessed with moose, and I saw a number of moose up there, and a woman, the woman who, yeah, right, so there's a moose in my novel, and the moose has a point of view, right? Oh, right, 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 yeah. Okay. Right. So the woman who ran the festival told me this particular story of crashing into a moose with her car. And this oh. is not, this is a, a vague version of what goes, went into the novel. I changed it completely, but she told me this story of what happened when they crashed into a moose. The moose died immediately. Thank God. Um, yeah. But when she went home, Seriously, she found glass shards in her underwear and in between her eyeball and contact lenses. (gasps) What? Now, of course, I could not put in that in the novel because no one would ever believe it, but it's true. So I'm I'm not sure which is worse, the underwear or your eyeball. Maybe eyeball, I think. You know, (laughs) maybe we should discuss later. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't want to get into it. I'm not. Wow. Um, Wow. But, yeah, so I always remembered that story, and a version of that story became an inciting incident in Oslo, Maine. And so I kind of wrote up to it and then wrote away from it and packed it in through that. And so Mm -hmm. in my novel, uh, humans have points of view, and also a moose has a point of view. And she is the linchpin of the novel. You know, books with animals' points of view, Garth Stein's a friend of mine, and he wrote, um, uh, you know, Art of Racing in the Rain, which is told from the point of view of a dog. It's a, it's a thing. It's an interesting thing from crows' points of view. And why not? Why not? Right. Why not? That is well, so cool. Well, I didn't question it. It's no. treacherous. There's no question about it because it yeah. can be very corny and sappy. You know, so you have to yeah. find the right balance of anthropomorphism and yeah. actually having it be believable that this animal is yeah. showing us her world, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is very cool. And this, so this is book number three. First of all, I didn't get to say it, but congratulations. Every, you know, every book, it's a, you wrote it, you published it, it's out there. It's always a, it's a thing for sure. And that one, this came out in like the when with this, when did this, when did it come out? Oslo, Maine is coming out next Tuesday. Oh, it's next week. That's March right. 2nd. Oh, all right. Hey, right. people, We're... pre-order now. Get on it. Get on <laughs> Thank it. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. Next week. Thank That's you. right. Well, congrats. Yep. Oh, so, all right. So I caught you a little early. Uh, uh, are you, it's kind of a strange thing. I have a book coming out in June. I don't even know. How, are you going to do a virtual book launch type thing? Yes, I have. I have some Zoom launch, uh, you know, events with bookstores. It's throughout March. Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. I'm it. I got to get on that. I guess I'm going to do that. I, I think part of me was hoping by June, there, but it's not going to happen. I'm going to have to do it virtually. I don't so. think so. I, yeah. yeah I, I think they're going to hold up. Yeah. Yeah. I got to suck it up. All right. Yeah. So you got that planned. 
And uh, mm-hmm. I'll bet you're great. I'll bet you're great at, at book events. I'll bet you are just one fun person to listen to. Am I wrong? Well, I try. Well, I <laughs> can't say. I mean, that would be just really not good. But, you know, let's put it this way. People have been looking at me all my life, you know. Right. Like I've been on a stage, you know, and right. speaking or playing the oboe. So I'm used, I'm used to people's eyeballs on me, so it's fine. Yeah, it helps. It does help. It does yeah. It does help when you get there, yeah. Um, Well, listen, congrats in advance. Uh, I hope it just goes nuts. And I hope hope next time I talk to you, which I hope I can do again, you'll be able to say, well, everybody knows who I am now. Now. So maybe you won't. You'll see. (laughs) It happened. Stranger things have happened. Um, Well, so, okay. First of all, because this is the kind of book that maybe uh, people would want to do book group on, you know? You know, everybody gather For around sure. and drink their Chardonnay and talk about Oslo, Maine. Uh, would you be up to a Zoom book group? Would you be open to that? I am, would be open, and I would do it nightly. If, ah. if, 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 if the calls came in, I would do it every single night. So book clubs wow. okay. come at me. That's good. Good for you. Um, all right. So where can people find out about you, Marsha? Where's the best place? Okay. Okay, well, my, uh, my website is MarciaButlerAuthor.com. It's M-A-R-C-I-A-B-U-T-L-E-R, author.com. Um, that's my website, and everything is listed there, all of my books. Um, you can just kind of Google me because I've got, you know, you can mm-hmm. all, th- things come up constantly on Google. I have a YouTube channel for my documentary film. It's Marsha Butler. And, you know, basically just put my name in a search and all yeah, that stuff true. will come up. I can attest to this. I Googled her. It was yeah. very easy. I'm sorry. We didn't even get to talk about the document. See, you've done too much, Marsha. You've done so much. <laughs> we didn't even get to talk about your film, for God's sakes. But listen, listen, well, I got one more. Qu- maybe, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll have you back on. That would be cool. Your next book, because there will be another oh, one. Um, sure. But in the meantime, what I want you to do is answer this question. Yeah. My final question, if writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Mm, bravery. Oh. Humility, full Ooh. full out bravery. You have yeah. to be very brave to write. It's not for the faint of heart, and that oh. happens every day to be brave. Yeah. And yeah. and then the opposite of that, not the opposite, but the the uh, the other part of that is humility, yeah. and to be able to be humble, and also uh, yeah, not beat yourself up. Because yeah. it's it is very humbling, you know. Yeah, it is. But it brave, is. bravery mostly, you know. Anyone who tries to write, it's just hats off to you. Hats yeah. off to you because because it is just it's so hard. Yeah, it can be, and 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 bravery. Even though you stood up on stage and had to hit every one of those goddamn notes at just the right I know, time. I hate them. <laughs> But that, but this talk, sitting alone in front of a blank page is what taught you bravery. I love Absolutely. It. I love yeah. it. Good to know. All right. Well, Marsha, it's been a delight chatting with you. Best of luck with Oslo, Maine and all your future projects. Thank you, Bill. It was such a delight to be here today. Thanks a lot. Take it easy. Okay. Be brave, people. Be brave. You hear that? You hear that? She was on Carnegie Hall. She's been performing. I tell you, it, I have done some of that, not, not nearly like she did, and it is scary. But facing that blank page, 
That's where she learned bravery. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It's true for all of us. Okay. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you. Uh, remember, if you want to sign up for Fearless Marketing, do it today. This Saturday, February 27th is when we'll be having it. Until then, I want everybody to go find something they love to do and then just do it. <laughs>